Welcome to the ProcureTech Podcast, where we aim to excite and inspire you about how technology will shape our profession's future. I'm your host, James Meads, and I worked in corporate procurement for 16 years before starting my own business as a content creator and consultant in the procurement technology space. I'm deeply convinced that procurement must become less technocratic and embrace the entrepreneurial spirit and creativity if we're ever going to shake off our image of being a process-obsessed, box-ticking function. You definitely won't find vanilla content on here, and we're not afraid to tackle some controversial topics and tell it like it really is. So if that's your thing, now let's jump right into this week's episode. Yes, hello and greetings. Welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech Podcast. We are the official podcast of procurementsoftware.site, where you can search and find over 330 procurement technology solutions at your fingertips, completely free of charge, and it will take you less time than it takes to boil an egg. But today on the podcast, I'm speaking to very, very experienced guests who's actually got one of the coolest startup ideas I could possibly think of. He's going to tell you all about it, I'm sure. But yeah, just to give you a bit of a teaser, it's a negotiation training and coaching tool which uses conversational AI to enable procurement professionals to gain experience with different types of negotiation styles through negotiating with different virtual sales avatars. So Clive Heal, CEO of Lavenir.ai, a very warm welcome. Thanks, James. It's great to be here. Back talking to you again. Wonderful. (laughs) I always love our conversations because we always end up going down a rabbit hole. So uh, I think this one's going to be fun. So later this year, you're going to have a virtual reality version, which is ready for the forthcoming metaverse. And we'll dig into this a little bit as well. But first of all, Clive, you've held a lot of diverse roles within procurement, both in the financial services and in the pharmaceutical industry. So before we dig in to talk a little bit about the procurement metaverse, can you maybe just give us a quick whistle-stop tour of your career and how you landed in procurement? Sure. Thanks, James. Um, just a one-minute run-through then, maybe. I started off in in uh, in the labs, actually, QC and R&D for what was Reckitt and Coleman, Reckitt Benkiser, now called Reckitt, working as a chemist. But then I decided I wanted to work in the commercial part of the business. So I moved across into sales and marketing, selling pigments for plastics and paints, I then wanted to move into the bigger pharmaceutical division at Record and Coleman at the time and tried to get into the sales group there. They didn't have any opportunities, but they said, hey, we do have a vacancy you might be interested in in, in procurement. Why don't you go and meet the guys? So I went over to them, had an interview with them, and, and that was it. I was hooked on procurement forever then. And so after 10 years at Record and Coleman, Record Benkiser in different procurement roles. I moved to PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers. I was a consultant in Europe for three or four years, worked at about 20, 25 different clients across Europe. Uh, from there, I was approached by GlaxoSmithKline. It was SmithKline Beecham at the time. I worked for SmithKline, headed up procurement for Europe for the pharma and consumer health divisions. And from there, I moved across to Prudential in the UK, an insurance company as CPO for Prudential. 
was there for a few years before I was approached by Genentech in San Francisco, California. So I, I moved over to work in the US in San Francisco Bay Area for Genentech, which ultimately became Roche. Those were all procurement roles. And then in 2011, I focused much more on innovation and how to drive innovation in procurement, basically initially with suppliers, but also internally. And I designed, built, and led the Innovation Center at Roche for seven and a half years, which time we collaborated with suppliers and internal business partners to co-create value, mutual value creation through the development of business cases to implement, to solve business issues, to, to bring value to ourselves and the suppliers. In 2018, I had the chance to to leave the business. And so it's time to start on my own and, and really do something different in the innovation space and look for opportunities to do to do something different and maybe leave a legacy. So that's how I got into procurement. Wow, so that's a, a very multifaceted career and you've had such a lot of experiences there. So what was it ultimately that convinced you to leave the corporate world and and pursue an entrepreneurial venture, especially, you know, no disrespect, but quite late on in your career, and it's it always ha- it always has the reputation of being a young person's game, doesn't it? So, what gave you the drive to do it at that p- particular point in time? I think when you get to a certain age, James, you sort of reflect on what you've done so far and what do you want to leave as your legacy, and how do you want to help procurement? And having been in procurement since I think it was 1986, you know, and built up some experience in different areas, particularly on the on the innovation side, I thought, now here's an opportunity maybe to try something different. So initially, I launched a business doing innovation speaking at conferences in the in, end of 2018, and of course 2019 killed that because of because of COVID and all the all the conferences got cancelled. And so in 2020, I started work on Lavenir AI to create something new using artificial intelligence. I mean, it, I think it was obvious at the time to some of us. That you know, there's a huge asteroid of technology coming to destroy the procurement dinosaur, and like, how can we really leverage that technology for the good? Obviously, we're we're seeing you know our um, you know robotic process automation, machine learning, and so on, which will be taking out a lot of jobs, and AI as well, which will be taking out a lot of jo- a lot of jobs. So, how could we create something for the good, if you like, to really help procurement advance? and leverage some of the new technology via AI, RPA, machine learning, blockchain, whatever. How do you, how could you capitalize on that? So in 2020, I had the idea of creating something using conversational AI for negotiation training, negotiation being a core competency for procurement. So I thought, okay, let's look at a way to use that technology. Let's just take a step back then for anyone that's maybe listening to this and doesn't understand the terminology. Could you just give a quick 101 of what is the metaverse? The metaverse is a digital environment where you can access different social and business technologies, interactions using virtual reality in a headset. So in the future, right now, we live in a 2D world where we look at a PC laptop with a flat screen. We can already use VR headsets, virtual reality headsets, and, and to access a whole new set of environments, if you like. And right now, there are literally thousands of companies out there building the different components of the metaverse. I mean, literally thousands of companies, the gateways, the avatars, the interfaces, the whole economy, marketplaces, social interaction, 
And then the whole infrastructure in terms of the connectivity, the AI, the digital twins and so on. So hundreds and thousands of companies right now are building the metaverse, which is where in the future you will be able to go to both do work things, but also to play and do social social things as well. So it's almost a complete new space then in the internet to to maintain social relationships and to and to do business. And in fact, the internet will be consumed into the metaverse. Right. So we think of the internet right now as something which is on a laptop and a PC. In the future, I, I eventually I see laptops and PCs disappearing completely. You will be in the metaverse and the internet is there with you in the metaverse. It's just part of the connectivity, part of the technology that's available to you that is being leveraged and used by the metaverse. Could you give maybe then some specific procurement applications to this technology then? What is the procurement metaverse then, if you will? Yeah, so the procurement metaverse is going to be a subset of the metaverse. And the metaverse, although it's got one name, the metaverse, the reality is there will be different environments within that metaverse. Mark Zuckerberg was trying to create one metaverse and manage the metaverse. But as soon as companies started developing portals, which would enable you to go out of that metaverse into other metaverses, he realized that, okay, I'm not going to be able to control the whole metaverse. There's going to be other players. There's going to be other players out there. From a procurement perspective, I think what we're going to see is all Procuretech, all Procuretech will have to have uh, uh, an existence, a product in the metaverse. I think that the metaverse becomes the space, the place where you can actually do all your business. The procure tech sits there, integrated together in in the metaverse. And the reason I'm so confident that this is going to happen is because the metaverse is being developed on both a consumer side and a commercial side. So not only are there consumer things that you can do, social things that you can do using the metaverse? You can literally go straight through a portal into a business meeting and then back into, into, the, into the, the, the consumer personal social side as well. So you've got both of these things happening together. You've got companies like Lavenir AI with, with a product which is going to be metaverse enabled with the VR capability and so on. But you're going to have a lot more social things to do. And that is why I think it's going to, It'll it'll be it'll really take off. The difference, for example, between the metaverse and say my iPhone is when I when I got my first iPhone, there were no apps on my iPhone. You know, um, Art Levinson had to call up Steve Jobs one Sunday night and hassle him to let everybody create their own apps and put them on. And Steve eventually said yes. And then and then of course now there's 2.2 million apps that you can get on the on the iPhone. The difference with the metaverse is companies are already creating the product. So as it starts to go live and people start to get used to using the metaverse, it'll be a global store with tens of thousands of companies already there with their products. And I'll, and I'll give you a great example. You know, there's a company in Monaco, D-World VR, run by Manila Giovanni. Now, she's a 22-year-old CEO who has created a complete <laughs> replica of Monaco in in a metaverse, a VR version with stores already there. I can go shopping today in Monaco and buy things. And I'm not physically there. I'm just there buying it. And I, and I said it before, but Manila will be the CEO, in my opinion, of, of Meta in 2030. I mean, she's a 22-year-old person who's already created a business in the metaverse. And it's like, there are people like that already out there. So D-World VR is just one example 
of the metaverse. But from a procurement perspective, I think the great thing about it is it, it brings together the opportunity for us to be able to access pr- procure tech technology through the metaverse, but at the same time have meetings with our business partners, meetings with suppliers. So unlike a Zoom call where it's a 2D and the person's just flat screen in front of you, I don't know, for people who have put a VR headset on, you know, the, the quality of the avatars by the end of this year will be almost yeah, indistinguishable from people. You won't be able to tell, is that an av- avatar or is that a person? You can have business meetings in 3D, you know, and your business partner and your supplier, they're sat right there in front of you in the same room as you. They can be sat at your desk in your home talking to you or you and you appear to them sat in their office talking to the, talking to them as well. So that that for me is part of the excitement of the metaverse. I think we are going to see some, and you can create your avatar to look like you or similar to you or, you know, a different way if you want to have different color hair or whatever. You can create how you appear. Well, my avatar will have hair. But you can have a lot of hair if you want, as long as you, <laughs> long as you want. Right? James, we can both do that, right? So I think that it also becomes addictive. I think that's one of the downsides of the of the, of the metaverse. And, and it actually really worries me for, for a couple of reasons. First of all, our friends in the future, our community of friends in the future, you know, we could have 50 friends, 49 of whom are avatars and don't really exist, but they love us. They support us. They support the same, same team. They like the same foods. We have a great time hanging out together, but they're not real people. And I might have one person in my community who's actually a real human being that, that I talk to, but sometimes you know, he can be obnoxious to me or she can really tell me what she thinks and I don't particularly like it. So I think we move into a world where where the, your, your, your friends and your community be, can become both virtual or, or real people. And because of the ability with VR to create whatever space you want around you, and you can have some NFT art on the wall if you want, right? you can be in a dingy, cold, damp apartment somewhere. But to everybody in the world, the VR world, you appear to be in a really nice room, really well, really you know, really nice pieces of art and nice view out the window. And I, you know, I've got that on my home screen on my VR set. You know, I can look out the window and see mountains and trees and then the birds fly over. And so you know, there's going to be this, this, this challenge for people in terms of their reality is, is quite frankly, crap, you know, awful. Then they, they're not in a particularly good situation. But as soon as they put on the headset, they step into this whole new world with a, with a different persona, a different look to be able to, to, be able to do business or meet, meet with their friends. And so I see that becoming addictive in a way because I'd rather put on a headset and be in that world, a virtual world, than be in the... In the in the real world, and so so because of the consumer side and the social side, which I think is you know Mark Zuckerberg and others are driving, and uh, you know and, and Google and Apple and Microsoft are all working on their VR AR stuff as well. Uh, as that takes off, it's an it's 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 it actually helps drive the commercial side. So we might think, oh, are procurement ever going to adopt this? I think the answer is yes, because people will, will already be comfortable working in the metaverse environment and then they will want to cross into and start using it for their for their business applications as well. And hence, for ProcureTech, I think all ProcureTech companies will have to have a metaverse version initially and then ultimately that's where they will live. First of all, thank, thank you for that. I learned a lot from just listening to you there as well because it's, it's not a subject that I've really immersed myself into, you know, other than little snippets that I see on Twitter and, and, and in the press. But, okay, so I get that maybe what is now 
a catalog for office supplies or, or IT peripherals will probably be a lot more interactive in the future and you can walk into the storefront and, and actually have a much more real life shopping experience. And I, and I guess from what you were saying about supplier meetings and about avatars becoming a lot more realistic than a 2D picture or video call in, in, in Zoom or on Teams, that's going to reduce a lot of the need for business travel and will, and will make virtual negotiations and supplier meetings a lot less stiff, I guess, if if the if the technology and and the and the way that that's projected will uh, will, will mature over time. What other applications do you see? You know, if we look at things like sourcing and contract management and and procure to pay and risk assessments, that type of thing, have you got any thoughts on how that could be done in the metaverse? I think looking ahead, I th- I see that. All of that technology, all those different areas, all ultimately is in the metaverse. It is your access point. It's the room, the space, if you like, where you do business. So in my mind, I don't see any exceptions. I actually think ultimately everything sits in that space. That is the world that we, the world that we get to, how we experience business, how we experience social interactions and so on. Right. Wow. How, how far away do you think we are from that, Clive, then in terms of timeline? Yeah, um, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg had a goal to get a billion people on within 10 years, and that was a year ago. So we're, we're, we're already moving down that track. I think it's hard to say in terms of when will it really take up. The metaverse is already out there. I mentioned Monaco. There are other examples as well of, of, the, of the digital twins and so on. I think that the metaverse is already out there. It's more about taking off an, an, an adoption. It's all about people starting to buy the headsets. I mean, you know, the latest one that, that, that came out was probably too expensive for the average person, but, you know, the $1,500. But then people are buying phones that are $1,000. So, so maybe, maybe, it's not too, maybe it's not too expensive. Maybe people will start buying them. And if it, once it becomes your, your, your vehicle, your, your portal into a, into a more enjoyable world that gets you away from where you, the truth of where you really live and into a different reality, you know, there, there becomes a pull. You know, with the with the um, Rogers, with the innovation adoption curve, you know the bell curve, Gaussian distribution, right? There, there's, 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 you know, you've got the innovators and the early adopters, but Rogers also talks about this this innovation chasm, where it, you know, there's, there's the innovators, there's a few early adopters, the people that stand outside the Apple store at night waiting for the next phone the following morning to come, and the new phone to come into the store. There's those people, but then there's always a gap before. You know the early majority come along and people start to, to start start to follow, and and I would argue, and I think you probably would agree that that procurement people tend to be risk adverse. Okay, yeah. So it's it's not like <laughs> a lot of it's not like a lot of people are jumping up and down trying a lot of new technology all the time. They they'd rather sit. A sheeple is the word I would use. They 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 like to sit and watch what everybody else is doing and wait for somebody else to move. And you know, when fifty percent have moved, then they then they'll move and follow sort of thing. So. So I, th- I think there might be some reluctance to, to get into that space. It's interesting how technology can can change things overnight. Think about, well, think about COVID, how that changed things overnight. You know, oh, we're not going to work from home. And then all of a sudden we're all working from home and everybody likes it uh, and it works. And then OpenAI, ChatGPT came along and all of a sudden people think, oh my gosh, you know, this conversational stuff, this, this, this interactive AI stuff is, is, is actually feasible and it actually works. 
people don't typically look up and see the asteroid that's coming and what's actually coming. You, know, you and I have been seeing the AI stuff coming for, for, for several years now. And it's finally arrived. But until it actually arrives, there's a, often there's a, a disbelief or a lack of understanding. I do think that procurement people are, are, tend to look at the here and now and what do they need to do for the end of the year, for their goals for the end of the year, and, and don't always sort of look up and see you know, what else is out there. How could we, how could we change the business model to create, to create more value beyond what we do now? And, and technology is a great uh, catalyst in a way. It forces you to change your model. It forces you to change the way that you work and to work in a, in a different way. You know, when you implement a system and a process and that you, you change the process, you change the way you work. And so the technology itself is a catalyst. The reason I think it will be successful in procurement, as I said before, is because of the consumer side. If people start using the, the, the VR and the metaverse in their personal lives, in their social life, in their shopping, instead of traveling, they use, they use these metaverse and so on. Once they start doing that, I think it'll be a more natural progression. It's not like we're trying to sell a procurement metaverse to procurement people and they've never seen it before. I think it'll follow the consumer adoption. And that's why it's so powerful because it's going consumer and business and there are thousands of companies already working on it. And the mall is suddenly going to open and people are going to be blown away. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I would certainly concur with you that on the, on the more sort of social side, I can see it taking off, especially when you consider in more developed markets, what we're seeing with the shrinking of the middle class and living costs becoming more and more and more expensive and people not being able to afford to go on foreign holidays or eat out at fancy restaurants, I can certainly see how it it could potentially supplant that in future. But then if I look on a bit more of a bearish side in terms of procurement adopting this, and you touched on it as well about, you know, as a profession, it is ultra conservative in many ways. And you know, on the one hand, we've seen the rise of B2C apps and, and really beautiful, nice interface technology. You know, if you look at something like Airbnb or Tinder, and then, you know, you come to work and you have to use a, a clunky ERP system from the 1990s or some legacy legacy source to pay technology that, that, that's got an interface that's pretty much 15 years old. You know, we're still struggling to win that argument, aren't we? So I, you know, I am a little bit of a cynic. You're obviously more optimistic than I am. But what what do you think will be? What do you think will convince people to change in terms of the metaverse versus you know that we've struggled with with the existing best of breed procurement tech apps to a certain extent? Yeah, I, th- I think we're going to have to see bound to see a change in the procure tech players. Some of that being driven by, are they willing to go down a metaverse solution? Are they willing to invest in it? I think it'll be sort of small steps. I mean, at first it'll be, there's a VR version available, and then the VR version becomes the version that everybody is using, and ultimately the flat screen version disappears and is unsupported anymore. I mean, I can remember back the first time I saw somebody carrying a cell phone. I mean, just put it into perspective, it was like the size of a brick. And I just think he was pushing it around in the supermarket in his trolley. I mean, it must have been like a foot by six inches or something, right? By three or something, right? And it must have weighed 10 pounds or something. But the guy was pushing it around the supermarket in his trolley. And I'm, I stood there thinking, I distinctly remember thinking, there is no way I would get a cell phone. Why would I even want a cell phone when I got a phone at home? And of course, 
you know, here we are. And then I, I can remember when the first laptops came in and, and that was a, that was a, a shock and a change. It's, it's kind of interesting how people, yeah, <laughs> it's hard for people to accept new things until they really use it, see it and embrace it. I mean, an iPod came out like, why would I want to carry around music on a little device in my pocket? And of course, a year later, you know, everybody's got iPods and so on. And so that's, that's the, the way that technology comes along and bites you, if you like, and you, you don't expect it. And all of a sudden you, you embrace it and you're, why, why, how could I, how could I survive without a cell phone? So, yeah, no, I can see that. And I've got an example of that myself. I mean, my dad was sat around at the Christmas, uh, Christmas dinner table one year, having one of his grumpy old men rants about how satellite navigation systems in cars are for people that are too, are too stupid to read a map. And then five years later, guess what he had for Christmas? It's <laughs> <laughs> I think I bought a TomTom. It cost me $1,000 the first one I bought. And now, of course, it comes free with your car. So. so let's talk a little bit then. Lavenir obviously touches on negotiation and negotiation training. So let's touch a little bit on this space. So back on, on the last series of the podcast, I interviewed Mark Raffan from Negotiations Ninja, uh, he's a podcaster and negotiations trainer, and we spoke a little bit about whether AI will ever be able to supplant a human to, autonom- to autonomously negotiate a more complex agreement. Because we're already seeing it now that autonomous sourcing is able to do simple stuff. You know, you've got, you've got procurement technology companies like Fair Market and Pactum that, that, that are really, really growing with, with, with that offering. He was somewhat more optimistic than I was, at least in the short term, that AI would be able to tackle, you know, really complex negotiation or a really complex, nuanced contract. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this and how quickly you think that we'll get there. Well, you originally said, will it ever take over from humans? That was the first sentence I think you said there. (laughs) I think it's all a question of, it's all a question of timing. I think there's a few things which come to play here. And Pactum and the negotiation bots, there's absolutely a place for that. And I think that will grow in terms of its ability to handle more complicated negotiations. I think think what we're looking at with Lavinier AI is more focused on strategic negotiations. And negotiation is a social process. People talk, interact, come together physically, face-to-face on a 2D or a 3D in the future to actually have conversations, to actually explore opportunities to create value either for one side or ideally maybe mutual value creation for, for both parties. So it is, that, it is that social interaction. I think also when we're talking about strategic negotiation, there are a lot of issues in play in terms of you know, who else is in the market, what's the situation with those alternative suppliers, what's happening to the supply situation at the moment, what What's the history been of the and the relationship that you have with all your existing suppliers? How aligned are they to where you're going? Are they doing any innovative development that might be of value to you? So there's actually a lot of factors in in play to you. So and it comes down to really, are you able to quantify that in terms of say the algorithms that you're writing? Are you able to put the different criteria and weight them in terms of, well, what's more important here? What's the optimal solution for me? And then you're fighting that against, battling that, if you like, against the, the algorithms and the technology of the supplier that you're, that you're negotiating with. 
the world will become, I think, a, a battle of the algorithms. It'll be who's got the best algorithms, which companies develop the best algorithms. Do I do I do I sell my algorithms to other companies as well as a as a as a product offering? Are my algorithms able to outsmart the algorithms of the supplier I'm negotiating with? It's about first to insight as well in terms of identifying opportunities that others don't see. So how can I create algorithms that can explore possibility? The great thing about AI compared to the human mind is typically humans' thought expands out from a, a given space, if you like. They they think about, oh, well, oh, I've got a black one, let's have a red one, or maybe have a blue one, or maybe have a bigger blue one, or a smaller blue one. Right? So their thinking, if you like, expands out. To, and there are a few people who come along who can create something that's totally new, totally innovative, you know, put A and B together and make a sausage, right? Well, whoa, where did that come from? I was expecting C and I got a sausage, right? So it's the, there are people occasionally who come up with, you know, Picasso might be a great example, who come up with something truly innovative. The thing about AI is it works in reverse. You can put in all the variables. It can define the near infinity number, the near infinite number of possibility, and then come down to some potential solutions. So it has the capacity, AI has the capacity to come up with completely new ideas that nobody has thought of before or are very unlikely to think of. So, so AI, in my mind, creates the, the opportunity to create value in new ways. Because AI really isn't yet fully creative, you know, look at DALI, for example, right? it's not fully creative yet. And it's not truly empathic in terms of being able to understand what the business really needs, your business partners really want, and to really connect in a human way with the suppliers. I think it'll be some time before the technology is able to really do better. So instead of saying, will AI take over the negotiations, I think it's a better solution would be how do humans with their human creativity, with their human empathy, how do, how do humans collaborate together with the AI to create a more powerful proposition, to look at different opportunity pathways that can be, can be developed, look at the situation, have different insights, and be able to put those across. Right now, when we talk about suppliers, you know, a supplier is really a, a, a collection of people, each with their own goals, priorities, values, preferences, etc. And so part of negotiation at the moment is, how do you interact with the, that person or those people? in a way which together or for you can create can create more value. So the technology would need to sort of understand that in terms of, well, what is a company trying to achieve? If they're able to define it, you know, that 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 might give you the possibility of of full automation. Quite frankly, I don't see it for at least 10 years. I think I think that the strategic negotiations will always be the opportunity for the procurement professional to leverage the technology and his or her skills together in harmony to therefore create create more opportunities and create more value and to come up with new ideas and so on. Yeah, and and if it's going to take then somewhat longer than you know the immediate future to to get to that point, how can something like Lavenir.ai benefit the buyer in terms of honing their negotiation training? Because it's the typical situation, isn't it? You go on a an, an ex, on an external classroom training, or maybe even now an, an online training, and you don't get the chance to to put that knowledge to work in in a safe environment. You're often thrown into the the lion's den and having to apply it 
in in a in a conflict situation or in a situation that that really matters. So, what sort of what sort of problem does Lavinia help solve that traditional negotiation training doesn't? So, negotiation training for me is really an ongoing process, and it involves the theory, understanding what's happening here, what tools can I use, what are the different arguments I can use, and then the practice. So it's theory and practice. So with Lavanier AI, we have a digital mentor who can teach you and coach you and give you feedback. But we have the opportunity to really practice your negotiation in a safe environment as many times as you want, 10 times, 50 times if you want, with the sales avatar. And the sales avatars can have different personas. In other words, they react differently. They have different behavioral traits. They can be process-driven, data-driven, analytical, risk-averse, or they can be very irrational or emotional or whatever. So so the different character traits, if you like, different behaviors. So so with Lavinier AI, is the, the conversational AI is the ability to have a free-form human conversation with an avatar and he, she, it negotiates back with you. So it's a safe environment. And we've all done the, you know, you go for a day, you do a couple of role plays in front of your peers. It's a bit embarrassing, you know, and, and a week later you forget you've forgotten all the theory or half the theory that you were told, certainly in my case, and then you let loose. With Lavinier AI, you've got the opportunity to, to practice, practice, practice. And I think some of the exciting things we're going to see in the future is we can create the, the sales avatar in the um, exact persona, if you like, of the real salesperson you're going to meet on Friday. And you can have a practice <laughs> negotiating with her before she even walks into the room. And with VR, I mean, you're probably familiar with VR, James, but when you put on a VR headset, she is right there in front of you in the room talking back at you. And and the avatar quality in VR is way better than the, the 2D version that we that we see right now. Avatars, by the end of this year, you'll struggle to recognize whether they're, whether they're humans or avatars. And I think the whole world of tr- learning and training is going to change because instead of going to a class, be it virtual or uh, in a physical location. I think it changes the whole university model, even potentially changes the whole school model in terms of like, you can get your training when you want it, customized to you, personally, personalized feedback, 24-7, wherever you are, you just need access to the, to the internet. So I think the whole way that people train and develop in future is going to change. You know, you've probably seen there's talk about getting training credits and experience credits. So your your resume of the future won't be these are the jobs. It'll be a series of tokens that you've amassed through your experience, through through your life of different instances, different activities that you've done. And those tokens will be your your resume. And you might have a, a resume of 10,000 tokens, which actually show exactly what you've done, what you've learned, what you've experienced, what you've worked on. And there is no paper resume anymore. It's just a, it's just a token box that you take with you to your potentially new employer or employers. Yeah, and I agree that capability building, I think, is one area where technology, not just in procurement, but generally, you know, is, is has a massive potential to to really disrupt. I mean, we're already seeing it at a at a very low scale level with 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 course platforms like Skillshare and Udemy that are you know usurping the need to go to university in some cases for you know things like things like techie jobs and marketing roles. So I, I definitely agree that it has massive potential there. Just as we start to wrap this up, Clive, what do you think the biggest change driven by procurement technology or even technology in general will be to the procurement and supply chain profession over, let's say, the, the next five years? 
Oh, that's a really big, really big question. What's the biggest change? I think it's about expectations of people, what's expected of procurement. I think the need to differentiate ourselves as procurement professionals in terms of adding value beyond the technology is going to become important. I think the whole the whole skill set is radically going to change for for procurement people in terms of how are they able to leverage the leverage the technology, but at the same time build the relationships with with people in the in the business as well. I, th- I think I think it's going to be. We know it's going to be exciting, right? It's already it's already exciting now. It's such a wonderful time to be in in procurement right now. So, how what's the biggest change driven by ProcureTech? I think it's more access to more information. So it's access to more insights. And so it's a need to be more courageous to identify what those options are and to go for them. And what worries me most about um, some of the technology at the moment is that it actually brings everybody up to the same level playing field, right? So how are you going to differentiate yourself? So let me, let me give you an example. If you put in a question to um, ChatGPT, and I put in the same question to ChatGPT, I'll probably get pretty much the same answer. So that's kind of worrying or frightening in a way because it's it's meaning that everybody can get up to the same level, right? So everybody's doing the same things, getting the same sort of results. And that's fine for the sheeple because everybody's happy. But if you want to really make a difference for your business, for your organization, for your for your for your company, you need to be able to use the technology to find other value pathways that nobody else has yet thought of. As competitive advantage, which is a time-phase phenomenon, as competitive advantage gets shorter and shorter, so the half-life of competitive advantage gets shorter and shorter, we're going to have to get better at finding new opportunities, finding new value, finding new ways to create more value for our business that haven't been thought of yet by our competitors, right? So how do you keep competitive advantage? So procurement has a great opportunity to to be a competitive advantage driver, a value creator for the business. The whole role of procurement, in my mind, is about value creation and delivery. That's what it all comes down to. Yeah, I know we gotta we gotta buy stuff and stuff comes in, but but ultimately it's like we're trying to create value for our business. And so being a value driver, a value creator of the business. And how do you do that? And how do you differentiate yourself above everybody else who's using similar similar technologies? And some of that will come down to, you know, well, what what technology are you going to use, right? So what what is your tech stack? Your tech stack in the future sits in the metaverse, but but what's in there? What are you going to use? What are you going to spend your time doing? And then the opportunity to have automated searching for you so you can create that this is what I need, go and find some value that nobody else has thought of, right? The opportunity to to find those new pathways and those new opportunities. But all the time, it's like, how are the other, how are the suppliers going to work with you, right? How do you influence the suppliers so that you are their preferred customer? Because by definition, there is only one preferred customer. Preferred means you are number one, right? So how do you become and truly become the preferred customer. What I so appreciated about COVID is that actually people really then found out who is the most important customer, who is getting the materials and who's not getting the materials. And the supplier you thought was actually (laughs) your best supplier turns out to be, yeah, but they've got somebody better than you and you didn't get it first. Somebody else, somebody else got it. So that for me was a, was great because everybody thinks, oh, you know, you're my, you're my best supplier and I'm your preferred customer. But that may not be reality. So, so in the new world, what does it mean for relationships with suppliers? What does it mean to 
have strong, powerful, value, mutually value-creating relationships with suppliers. What's that going to look like? And how do you maintain that? Because if you let the technology take over fully, there is no human part in that process. And that might be okay if the technology is coming up with the best possible solution. But I think for quite a while, there'll be a need for human guidance, intervention, coaching, and teaching of the technology so that you get you get the best option. Yeah, and I think an example that really highlights that point is if you if you get a slap or a ban on social media, it's impossible to talk to a person, isn't it? And I think that really explains in sim- in the simplest terms possible how the human plus the technology, especially in a in a very people driven process like procurement and you know negotiation and and commercial relationships is is vital. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. And and it's also more about moving away from savings to more total value. And you know, use the example of being the customer of choice during COVID when everyone's screaming at you for parts and you 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 just deliver to the to to the company that's been nicest to you or that you make the biggest margin from. Well that's a really interesting point because when I worked in sales, right, this is a long time ago. I was kind of surprised that the customer that got the best in terms of they had the best service, best people on them, they had first access to our R&D. They were not the biggest customer in, in terms of revenue and they weren't the the most uh, profitable in terms of the margin either. So I'm thinking, well, if they're not a biggest customer and they're not the biggest in terms of the margin, why is it that our company so support that customer? And the the bottom line, I think, as to why we really supported that customer and, and you know, they got everything, right, was because it, there was mutual value in it. So they were helping us with what should be in our R&D pipeline. We were helping them with some of their processes. They helped us sort out a big quality problem that we had in the, in the factory at one time. So the thing about procurement is the value of procurement goes, potential value goes way beyond what's on that truck going to the customer and the payment coming back. Because that, in a way, is the visible part of the iceberg, the actual transaction, if you like, the goods being delivered and the payments coming back. But the relationship between companies can add far more value in terms of you know, telling us what should be in our R&D pipeline and giving us ideas for new, for new products or you know, them helping us sort out our quality problems. So the, the value you can get from a relationship is not necessarily what you see above the water. There's a lot more value to be had, you know, hidden, if you like, and these these extra things. And that, I think, is the opp- opportunity. So it's not just about, it's not just about cost. It's actually about what's the total value that you can get, the opportunity from each supplier in a particular situation and changing the situation to create more value for both of you. Awesome. So I'm going to have to wrap it up here, Clive. I I know you're a busy guy and you've got to run. So uh, last question, if anyone would like to learn more about you or about Lavenir.ai, where is the best place that we can send our listeners to learn more? So thanks, James. Lavenirai.com or or shoot me an email. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, Please sign up and connect with me on LinkedIn or follow Lavenir AI on LinkedIn as well. So any of those options, I'm more than happy to talk to talk to you about it. And actually, we, we do a we do demos now, James, where people can meet an avatar on a Zoom call. We have a Zoom call and the avatar is <laughs> on the Zoom call and you know he's there or it, whichever. He's there and you can sit and have a conversation with him on a, on a Zoom call and see what, see what he says. So we'll pop all of that in the show notes. Clive, always a pleasure talking to you. Um, and yeah, looking forward to where you take this. Thanks again for coming on the show. 
James, thanks very much and see you soon, hopefully. So that was Clive and that was the procurement metaverse. It really is a rabbit hole that we can go down, isn't it? So just before I sign off with you, just a quick request from my side. If you like the ProcureTech podcast and we drive value to you, please don't forget to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us to spread more word and get more listeners and it would be really, really appreciated from my side. Thank you again for listening and we will catch you same time again next week. Until then, bye. Bye for now.